uh, and we'll be starting at verse 8, and we'll be going through verse 17. So uh, if you'd like to stand, you can join us, and uh, we'll read this together. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundantly with faith and love, exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Christ Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now that the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just pray right now that you'd lead us as we uh, get into your word. We pray that you'd speak to us, Lord, that you'd open up our ears to hear, our eyes to see, that you'd touch our hearts, soften our hearts where we're calloused and cold, Lord, that we would be able to hear from you and, and grow and change, and that we'd be able to see, uh, see ourselves accurately, understand, um, man, we are not the answer. Uh, and so we would, we would just submit ourselves uh, to you, the working of your spirit to convict and your word, God. Just thank you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So Timothy, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and of course he sent Timothy uh, to Ephesus to deal with some major issues uh, that have happened there um, Ephesus was, we kind of did a little recap last week, an amazing work. Like, Paul spent three years there. Uh, there was some major stuff happening. The Holy Spirit was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, miracles like crazy. People getting saved. So much so that the goddess Diana, they weren't, the silversmith Demetrius wasn't able to make enough idols. He was freaking out. So they caused all these this issues and a riot to try to get rid of them. But God was doing a crazy work uh, in Ephesus. And Paul wrote, like, one of his most complete, beautiful works to the Ephesians. And so they've been given three years spent with the Apostle Paul, leading them, guiding them, discipling them. They've been given a book. And here, near the end of Paul's life, he's looking at them and he's like, you guys are a mess. False teachers have come in and they've deceived you. And so you you got, you started so well, things were going so well, you had all the training, but it, it, you've been deceived. Even though it was an amazing work, it, it happened, right? And it's not unique to the church, right? And you see it in other epistles. Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you 
and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So you see, he's like saying, man, they, why are you falling for this? And it's what's something we really got to understand. This is always the thing. We always think somebody else can be duped. We can't. Like you could be taken advantage of. I'm, I've got, I, I have smarts. No one's going to take advantage of me. I know. I know not to buy the extended warranty on my car when they call. Okay? You know, like I have, I have all this in mind. No, if they could fall for it, being that close to the apostolic ministry of the Apostle Paul, we are all have to keep our eyes wide open as to how easily we can be sucked in and deceived by false teachers who don't know what they're talking about. And of course, as we said last week, this is really, it's happening like all over the place. Right? I mean, there's just this deception and the lies we're believing in. Uh, and, and the culture is shaped by these uh, people who don't know what they're talking about. But yet, we follow. So this is a really important reminder for us. And, and it should be like a you know, sobering moment to go, i got to be careful. I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus. I've got to keep my, my I've got to stay close to him. And we're going to talk about how you do that here in a second. So verse 8. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. One of the issues was how the law was being used. It was to distort their beliefs, right? But Paul emphasizes the law is good or it's useful. We see Paul say this often. Uh, the law worked, we've seen as a tutor, right? It kept everybody where they're, it, it worked as a season. One of the ways you could describe the law is it kept the children of Israel blessable, Kept them in a position where they could still uh, be receiving from the Lord. They weren't too far off or too crazy. You know, they were able to, to be with the Lord through the sacrificial system, uh, the Mosaic system. And we know that was done at Pentecost. That started at Mount Sinai, right? And it was over at Pentecost. But the law still has value. It's, it's got similar roots. Uh, of course, the law was never really meant to save us. It was meant to point out issues in our own lives. It, it was there as like a, you know, Lightning rod to go, hey, you think you're not good? Here, this is where you're supposed to be. You're not there. So it works as a tutor, uh, but it also worked to preserve the people, right? The children of Israel, they were wicked just like the nations around them, but God had chosen them to set them apart from all the other nations and said, this is how you will look different. Of course, all the implications of that made sense way later, right? Even like the Passover, you know, that's what Jesus saying. I'm the lamb. You're talking about the lamb. I'm the lamb. This is me. You know, as he's sharing that right before he's about to go to the cross, uh, we get more insights from that. But at the time, it was used to separate them, keep them. So the law is not bad, but the distortion of it was. What was the law used for? Here we go. One of the reasons. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. For the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers fathers of fathers, murderers of mothers and manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, uh, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's anything, uh, other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the go glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The law served to convict of sin. And then he lays out a gnarly list, right? Um, and, and the law shows us where we're clearly right or, clear, or clearly wrong, where we're off. There's no excuse when you know it, right? That's one of the best things is when you don't know something is wrong, you're like, oh, okay, I didn't know, right? And Paul, we're going to see, he kind of didn't understand that. But once you know, you know. 
right? It's like you didn't know before, but now you do. That's like kids. It's a teaching moment at first, and that teaching moment changes as they continuously cross the line, right? One of my kids, we, we joke about, I'm not going to throw shade because sometimes they hear the podcast, and they go, what, Dad, you were talking about me? And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. So no names. One of my three kids, I won't say any initials or anything, but we would say to this person, don't stick your finger in your mouth because this person would stick their finger in their mouth. And what would this person do next? Put two. That's, that's you know, at first, hey, you didn't know you shouldn't put your finger in your mouth. When you put two in, that's, even, that's uncomfortable. What, are you trying to whistle? You know, like, but that, that's like the sign. It's like, you know, you've stepped beyond the boundaries, right? You know full well what you're doing. The law made that clear, right? And this is a, a, a list of, again, gnarly sins, uh, but many of them, we could find ourselves uh, on that list somewhere to some, some extent, especially if we understand uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But um, the, it's, it's like so that the, it's made clear what is right and what is wrong, right? That, there's, that the law serves to show that. Uh, and he says contrary to sound doctrine. The idea of sound doctrine is healthy teaching. So it's contrary to healthy teaching. Healthy teaching is, is always supposed to be gospel-centric. So, like, when you hear a teaching, it's gotta, it should always be coming back to the good news of the gospel, right? Which is, yes, we were all sinners. We were all dead in our sin and our trespasses. We were all liars and connivers and murderers, if not in actuality, in our hearts. And so it brings us back to the gospel, the good news of the gospel. So sound doctrine is always tied to the gospel-centric message. It has to be about Jesus, that's when you hear people say, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? So the law shows us, man, you're a mess. You've got issues. Jesus came to address those issues. He came to heal you from that. So it's contrary to the sound doctrine. If we drift away from this truth, we'll find ourselves further and further from both humility and grace, so if we forget the cross, this is what happens. And this is what a lot of people's, uh, I guess, um, view of the church is. It's, it's literally, it's a church without the gospel. It starts becoming the rules. This is the, you don't eat, you know, or you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't hang out with girls who do. That's like the kind of like, you know, moralistic kind of, that's how you view the church. Do you guys have fun? Are you allowed to laugh? Are you allowed to, you know, all of these kind of things. It's like, what are you talking about, right? So it becomes like this kind of pious, um, good, good boy, good girl club. And, and that is the opposite of really what the gospel is. And so if we find ourselves away from that, we forget the humility of for the gospel in our own lives that, that, that we need to be constantly reminded of and for others. So we lose the humility of knowing we've been saved by grace. We didn't do anything. You're not the good little boy or good little girl you act like you are. You are desperately wicked in your sin. You need to be saved by grace, right? And then we lose the humility of being like, I didn't do it. That's one of the most amazing things is God will do something amazing in our lives. And then we go, look at what I did. And he's like, what? No, you know what you did? You cause all the problems. I like my wizard at working it all back together. 
So like the further away we get, we lose grace, we lose our humility. And as we do that, the message gets really sour and really ugly. You know, and no one wants to hear that. But when we're honest, we see a totally different thing. Okay, verse 12, more about this in a second here. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, uh, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Okay? So Paul says, this is, so he's going to tie in the whole gospel thing. He's going to practice what he preaches as he's sharing it to Timothy, his young protege. Right? I thank Christ Jesus. Who was the one that died on the cross for our sins? Jesus. Christ, Christocentric, put Christ right in the center. Who has enabled me, because of what Jesus did, I've now been enabled and counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Do you see how that's a difference between, look what I've done. He's like, he has opened up the path, he's put me there, he's keeping me. It's, just, it's all him. Then he says, why it's so amazing he's, he's allowed to be there. And this, this is what really preaches to people. This real, honest uh, understanding of our own sin and our own, like, where we're from, where we're at. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul actually thought he was doing the right thing. Have you ever been, do, have you ever done the wrong thing and you thought was the right reason? You know, I've done that a lot of times. You're like, you're like, this seems like the right thing, you know, like, and it's just like, man, that's not how you do this. This is not, this is, that, that's not, that's like not godly, you know. It's a good, you think you have a good intention, you're off. Paul thought he was getting rid of this heretical cultish sect that was ruining Judaism. So he was gnarly in going after them, Right? So he recounts a bit of his conversion story, right? The gospel is not far off his message ever. Paul is consistently talking about it. The gospel is always in the front of his mind. It's always on the tip of his tongue. He cannot wait to tell you about Jesus. He cannot wait to tell you about the restorative work that Jesus can do, that he can transform lives because I know myself, right? Jerry Bridges, he made popular the quote. I don't know if he actually, he's an author. It's hard to say. He said he got it from someone else. I don't really know. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's what he would say. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. And and as we do that, we recognize and we look at our own lives and we have to re-remember exactly where we came from and exactly who we are now. And there's twofold to that. We'll get into more of that in a second here. But we'll do, we would do so well to remind ourselves of this every day with joy and humility that there really was a problem in my life. I really was a disaster. I really was a mess. I really wasn't doing well. I wasn't as cool or calm collected as I thought I was. Right? But God who's rich in mercy, decided to save me anyway. So Paul makes it clear his actions, although they were totally wrong, done in ignorance, right? Okay, maybe that's you. Maybe before the things you've done, they were done in ignorance. You didn't really like, you know, I didn't know that was wrong. As soon as you know, though, it's time to turn. That's like, that's the point. That's the breaking point. We go, hey, look, like don't, don't make provision for sin. Walk away. As soon as Paul found out, he, that was it, right? So if God's shining light on something in your life, uh, something you never even thought was like a bad thing, let him do it. I remember a couple times when I first got saved, like 
right? Things that I didn't even think of were wrong. And then all of a sudden you find out it's wrong. You're like, oh no, I didn't know that. And then all of a sudden you lose all taste for it. And it's like, oh, get me out of here. If you try to live on in it longer, it causes more and more issues. Um, I've got scars to prove it, you know? Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ. This is the response to the gospel-centered teaching and life. It's looking and marveling at God's exceeding and abundant grace. So if you're marveling at it constantly, that will be what you share with other people, right? It's not some legalistic trip, right, where we think we're better than everybody else. It's like we're experiencing this exceeding, abundant grace. We're... we're, we're, uh, experiencing it for ourselves with faith and love in Christ Jesus, which are in Christ Jesus. That's the response of that life, seeing God's amazing grace. This is a first 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul like steps up his game here, right? And you're like, does he, he does not really mean this, does he? You know, people say, oh, I'm not very good. Sometimes people say that, you know, oh, I'm pretty terrible at this. And you're like, yeah, right. It's like, the, it's like false humility. Oh, man, oh, I'm the worst. And you're like, no, you're not. And you know you're not. Don't do that. Don't say that to me because you're better than me. So if you say you're the worst, then that means I'm worse than the worst. Like, I can't, you know, bear to imagine that or experience that. But I think Paul really did see it this way. And this is also part of understanding how to live in the midst of the gospel, Right? But Paul says, it's a faithful saying, worthy of acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners, who? Of whom I am chief. And this isn't the first time Paul says stuff like this. He's always talking about, he's the least of the apostles, the least of the saints. Right? He sees himself worse and worse as he gets older. If you, like, follow the process. He's, like, slowly sees himself as more and more of the problem. Does that mean Paul's getting worse with age? No, it's, it's the light is being shined more and more on his life. So if like you're feeling comfortable, or if I'm feeling comfortable, like I'm in a good spot, you're in a terrible spot. Because <laughs> there's a lot more that God wants to do and, and, and work in our lives to transform, right? So Paul kept seeing it, and he really did, un- it's not false humility, because Paul also did some really gnarly stuff. Right before his conversion in Acts 9, we see, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Uh, Went to the high priest and asked for the letters from the synagogues of Damascus, that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed near Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul literally went looking to find Christians to bring and try them and often kill them. So he's like, no, I was really bad. You don't understand. I would go to other countries to go find people. You know, or other, air, or other regions to go and find them and to bring them back. You know, breathing murderous threats. You could hear it's like his intensity. We know Paul had zeal, right? So he's looking, 
that, that was Paul. He was intense. And Jesus took it as, Paul, you are persecuting me. But the, the interesting thing is, as soon as Paul understands that, he flips. He's like, what? Now, his whole life changes dramatically on that road to Damascus. But the closer we get to God, the more messed up we see ourselves, you know? Paul says, I who am chief, not was chief. I was a bad sinner. Uh, no, he's saying, I am chief of sin. I, like, I see myself in that position. I am capable of gnarly stuff. So he understood that and he saw that, right? So I, I have like two points I was thinking about in, in light of all this, right? Number one, as far as life in light of the gospel. One, we are worse, way worse than we thought we were. We were worse. Like, however, you know, because we're amazing at justifying ourselves, right? That was just, oh, you know, I, that was just part, product of the environment or I just, you know, whatever. No, we are, we're way more capable of making better decisions than we do often, right? So I'm way, we're way worse than we thought we are. And, and understanding that is freedom, right? Because we always want to save face, but saving face is never actually living in reality. I heard a, a really good quote, and it was, uh, this guy said, God doesn't bless who you want to be. God blesses who you are, right? He, like, blesses, like, the real you in honesty and transparency. God works with that. He doesn't work with, like, a false sense of who we are. He's not going to bless your mask, right? So Paul understood exactly where he came from. So we need not make excuses for our sin nature. The best thing we can do is be honest and real with where we're at, right? That's like the beginning of like work, that, and that's the gospel. That's what we do when we have communion. We go before the Lord and we like lay it out. This is where I'm really at. And that's kind of the idea of like going and spending time. God, hey, if you're in a wicked, write it down. Lord, this is where I'm at. I'm a mess, you know, whatever, God hears a speaks to us in the midst of that inner life, like where we're, we're real and, and laid bare before him. So much of the thought of the day is to figure out how we've be, been a victim instead of dealing with like the reality of our own sin, right? And there's this idea, this humanistic idea that's been going on forever. It goes in cycles because it, it constantly keeps uh, representing itself, right? So you, you start thinking, you know, we've kind of got this whole thing together, right? We don't need religion. We as humans are evolving. We are growing. We're becoming more intelligent. We're becoming more, you know, rational. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to need any of that. This, there's going to be no need for this. And one of the big, one of the like times that was most prevalent was right before World War II, <laughs> right? And then the whole thing, actually right before World War I, the whole thing fell apart. Like, no one imagined something like that happening, right? And now here we are again. No, people are just misunderstood. And if you really understood them, this and that, you know, whatever. And you're, like, looking around, you're going, like, people are evil. Like, there is sin in the world. And, and we're not doing anyone any favors by acting like it doesn't exist, right? Especially because there's a cure. And so if we're able to come before God with a, a, a humbled hearts in, in honesty he wants to work with us in that place. And that is part of the good news of the gospel, right? Is that God wants to work with us exactly where we're at. And Paul is that example. 
1 John 1, 8 through 10, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we are real before God and each other, I'd add in, the more, you, the more we can experience it with each other, the better, right? That gets messed up when um, someone's, I remember sharing at a church one time, uh, and I was just like really honest and really like, I just totally kind of like mocked myself, laid myself out, like just totally, because I was just like, I just want to be honest and real. And I remember some of the people like making fun of me afterwards for it. And I was just like, this is toxic because it made me shrivel up. And I'm like, I'm not doing that again. You know, it's like that's kind of the feeling of being vulnerable. Really, that shouldn't be the response. But if you're living in a community where vulnerability and honesty is, is really where you're at, man, that is, that's huge, right? Because we're being real before God and we're being real before one another. It's like a real thing. So if we're real and we really understand how messed up we are in our sin, we can experience real transformation in Christ, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, which means we realize them, which we, means we even vocalize them, instead of hiding them, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So good. So Paul's doing that, right? He's saying, here's where I was really at, and here's where God wanted to take me. Verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So the first part was we are, we are way worse than, than we thought. And the second point, God wants to use us way more than we think, right? Even with that in mind, God wants to use us way more than we think. Paul recognized he obtained mercy, mercy in Christ that he might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. That when people would look at Paul's life and they'd see the dramatic change. Remember when Paul showed up and the disciples saw him, they're like, uh, that's Saul of Tarsus. Why is he here? He's, that dude kills our friends. Like, he should not be here. And then all of a sudden people found that this dude really had a, a transformation. Like, God changed his heart. So Peter's like, oh, let's go see him, you know. Ends up being this wild, wild story. And so Paul says, God likes to use people like me in my mistakes, in my flaws, and my like, oh, big time blow it to use as an example as highlighting how good he is, right? I like to use the example of like um, the, uh, like a, uh, um, What's it called? I can't think of it right now. Infomercials, right? Like you'd never know how good the vacuum works at cleaning out stuff if there wasn't a red wine stain on the carpet. And if the carpet wasn't white, right? Pat, you could get it out, I'm sure, right, with time. Uh, but, you know, you, you sit there and you go, how in the world are we going to do that? Or how are we going to know if this, you know, thing can hold unless we put a bowling ball in it and suction it? Wow, look at that power. And we use, so we see this all the time, extreme circumstances to show just how strong and powerful something is, right? So God loves to use people's stories 
when they're real and honest, to highlight just how good his gospel really is. So when we don't recognize how bad we actually were slash are, you know, if we're being really, really honest about that, and then we forget to, and miss out on that he wants to do way, way more in our lives. I, think, I feel like usually, there's usually one of two things we mess, miss out on. One, people aren't honest with where they're at, and so they, there's never even a chance to use that testimony because we're so guarded. We want to make sure nobody see, only sees the good side of us. You know, is that the good side? Is this the good side? Uh, don't post that picture of me. Uh, I was sneezing, and it doesn't look good. You know, that sort of thing, right? Which, who wants that? So we have, we have that side, or we have the other one where it's like, I am such a mess, I, God could never use me. I'm so thankful I get to go to heaven, but there's, that's it. I can't, there's nothing else you could do with me. Like, I'm a disaster, and both of them are dead wrong. Yes, you're worse than you thought, but that grace is way bigger than you thought. And so God wants to use all of that for his good. Paul is an amazing example of remembering where he came from but not being a victim of it anymore. He's not, he doesn't stay there, right? We get, we get it in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was able to see God leverage his past for the future. And, and, and really it was for others, right? Um, I was a, I remember when I was first coming around, uh, one of the biggest things I was, enticed by, I loved seeing, was real life transformations. And so I picked up the, a book called Harvest. You guys remember the book Harvest? And it was all these stories of all the Calvary Chapel pastors, you know, because I'd started going to the Packing House in Redlands. And they, man, these, what a motley crew, man. You know, when you start reading those stories and it was like, these guys have, are pastors, you know? And I just, I like loved it because I love seeing these transformational stories from like really, really, really bad, bad dudes living really, really messed up lives. And then God's seeing it turn and change, and now they have these amazing ministries for the Lord. Uh, one of the guys on our board here at the church is Pastor Jerry Brown, U-Turn for Christ, right? Drug running in like, you know, Hemet area out there, which is Hemet's the spot, you know? <laughs> lots, lots of land, perfect place to build a meth lab, you know? Um, and so that's like, that stuff was going on really wild out there, you know? And, and then he gets saved. He gets radically transformed. And now he has U-turn for Christ, where he brings in people who are in a similar places as him and brings them in and, and can connect with them and knows the games and knows how to break through. And I, we've known so many have gone through it and been changed, people in this church. God wants to use what we were and, and then use it as a contrast to what we're becoming in Christ uh, as like a judo thing, right? What Satan meant for evil, God's turning for good. You guys know how that works with judo? The first time you like wrestle with someone who knows judo, it's just the biggest bummer ever. It's the same thing with jujitsu, right? It's like the more you try, the worse off you are. 
you know? Like, it's like, uh, if I, if I, I'm just going to go at them super hard, oh, they're hoping you will, you know? Because the second you run at them, they drop that hip down, and you are going for a ride, and you're like, I haven't been flipped like this in years. Oh, the ground, bam, you know? I think my kidneys are bleeding, you know? Thank you. I learned a lot, you know? I, I do jujitsu, my friend who's a black belt, and, and he had just this way of baiting me to make a decision that would, that would, I was thinking was an advantage, and he isolated my arm. Shoot, man. Don't break it. So it's kind of like the same thing. Like God is working in us through all the other stuff. He's taking all that Satan's done and worked in us. And, and, and it's, it's not to say there's no payment, right? We know we, there's like, there's a cost to sin. We know that. We experience that, you know, like, and that's a bummer. But, but God redeems and transforms and he could use that to make it a platform to speak to other people in that position. Because there's something about someone who's gone through something like that, you can reach people in a whole different level. Don't be held down. So it's like Paul, yeah, looking at it like that, but don't be held down from what you were. Remember who you are in Christ. That's, that's, that's the thing. Paul says, I forget, forget what I, you know, forgetting what was behind, I press forward. But he didn't forget the gospel. He wasn't defined anymore by what he was, but he didn't forget the gospel. Galatians 2.20, very popular verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God wanted to work in us to make us new. So, so you were worse than you thought. God wants to use you more than you think. And you have like a way better future than you could imagine. Whether it's here or in eternity spending our, 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 the rest of our lives with him. Verse 17, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's through the gospel that God is the most glorified, I think, or one of the ways he's most greatly glorified, right? So that, that everybody can look and see what he can do. How do we know love? Love came down and rescued us. Love came and lived a perfect life, right? That, that, that came to do the will of Father, that, that lived and, and ministered and brought hope and then died and then rose again three days later. The gospel glorifies God so greatly. So if you were like, if you're living in the desire that God has put in your heart, our desire should be what? To, to glorify God with our lives. The greatest way you can glorify God with your life is by being honest with who you are in him, both who you, like, where you came from, recognizing the good news of the gospel, and then your new identity that's found in Jesus. That brings the most glory. You will live it out. You'll be able to experience it. You will be talking about it. People will recognize it. I mean, how many of you, I mean, you don't have to do show of hands, but have, have had it where when you got saved, literally people thought you were a different person. Like, they're like, what? Who are you? You know, like, you seem like a different person. Because God gets the glory for that. And then they start wanting to asking questions, you know? That's when they want to start asking questions. And I love that. It's like, so what's the church thing about? So what do you, what, what do, you do, you know? And you go like, oh, interesting. God's getting glory from your life because you're redeemed, you're transformed, and people could see the difference, right? 
So to the king eternal, right? Lots. Of, so the king eternal, God reigns forever. His reign will endure forever. No matter what happens here on this earth, man, it gets sticky every however many years, right? It's like we're always, okay, here's another one, you know? This, the world that we're living in, it's, it's, it is one fallen head following another fallen head. And boy, isn't that obvious. I feel like I used to trust, like, the people in charge more, and now it's like, oh, wait a minute, you know? No, everybody, nobody knows what they're doing, seemingly. So the king, eternal, forever, immortal, he doesn't die, right? You know, forever, invisible, not, not present, right, with us, but invisible, like beyond all, all the things we can see. Like we live in a world where like, I want to see, no, it's beyond that. He's beyond that. To God who alone is wise, living like that, trusting God alone is wise. He is the one that will lead. So we don't get caught up. Remember, we're talking about false doctrine. Right? False teachers. God alone is wise. So if it's, if it's contradicting what God says, then it's off. Straight up. Right? And then what's, what's the end goal? Be honor and glory forever and ever. That God would be honored and glorified through the lives of the kids he saved. That, that we would be living testimonies of what he's done. So I think some, some of us, it's probably uh, useful to get reacquainted with our testimony. <laughs> like where you came from. Because so, it's so easy to forget that, you know. It's so easy to forget where you came from and, and how messed up life was before. And get reacquainted with the sense of how gracious and merciful God's been to you. And let that produce in us humility. And for others of us, it's to know that we are no longer... Uh, defined by those mistakes. But we are now a child of the king. We are now co-heirs with Christ. And he has a plan to use you more than you ever imagined. You're worse, way worse than you th possibly thought you were, and he's got a plan to use you way more than you possibly thought he would, right? And we have a hope that's way better than we could have ever Im poss possibly imagined it would be in him, because he's eternal, he's got it all. Right? So allowing God to work in and through us, uh, keeping the gospel centric, right? And the gospel, the good news that we were sinners, desperately wicked, in need of grace. And God moved on our hearts as we see in the life of Paul. Who's been encouraged by the life of Paul? Like everyone, right? Like we see his story and you're like, God reaching in as Paul's breathing murderous threats. He's like, Furious, you know? And God reaches in and grabs him and says, No, Paul. Saul, you're now Paul. And you're going to be working for me now. So stop working against me. And he's like, Okay. Yeah. And then he, and so you see it again and again. He's like, Yeah, I, I, I decided then to live full on, man. You know, like I worked harder than anyone else because of the grace of God that's been present in my life. So it's, it's almost a thing actually where the more grace you've experienced in your life, the more motivation we should have to follow, right? And the more we understand how sinful we are, the more we understand how much grace we've experienced in our life. So did you see how it all works together? You've got to be like, we've got to be real about where we're at. I'm not just such a nice guy. No, I think crazy things, especially when people cut you off. Like you have no idea, like, you know? 
my car's like a thousand, like 10,000 pounds, you know, like, why would you do that in the, you know, electric vehicle there? You know, I don't know. Which is great. Electric's very good for you. I'm just saying. But like, you know, like the, the, all of that and recognizing all that, then the grace of God is, it's, it's compound. I'm like, man, much is given, much is required. God has given us grace and mercy. Why? For a good purpose. And it's to glorify him and for us to experience like real life. So good, right? Do you guys get it? I always say that. Lord, thank you so much for this uh, amazing, just the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us to be reacquainted with that. That we would...